0: I wonder how many of you this morning have traveled outside the country. Would you just raise your hand, keep your hand up? If you've traveled outside the country, now whether it just went to one of our bordering countries or overseas, okay. Uh, how far away did you go? This name out loud. Where did you go? Everybody. Asia. Asia, okay. All right. A lot of places. West Virginia, I heard somebody say. How long did you stay? What's the longest you've ever been outside of our country at one time? Three and a half years. Three and a half years. Wow. Okay. How many have been deployed somewhere? Okay. And for how long? Seven months. Nine months. Okay. Good. You know, when you're away from home, uh, you really value home a lot more, don't you? <laughs> Not like everyday life, you know, when you're going through it and and, uh, dealing with just normal life. You know, you don't think that much about, oh, I'm back home again. You know, I was kind of hoping to be away for a little while longer. But once you get out of the country, it's a very different feeling. I want you to think about Daniel over in Babylon. Daniel, one of those exiles, Jewish exiles, taken there against his will, along with a bunch of the other young people and and, uh, older people too. And he's been there his whole life. Now, we're getting later in his years. He's up to his 80s. And so he's he's been in Babylon in this foreign place for over 60 years of his life. No opportunity, no chance of ever going back home again. What, a, what an odd feeling it must have been. And yet, in the midst of this, he lived all of his life in service to God. The best that he could, he served God in a different place. In a place that was not home. And longing for home that whole time. So he's a stranger in a strange land. And so we've been thinking about that these past few weeks. A stranger in Babylon. And yet he's living for God the best that he could. He wasn't home. So he made God his home. And sometimes we have to do that. Sometimes we have to realize that you know, where we are is not home. Even if you were home in America, it wouldn't be your real home. It would be your temporary home. Because we too are strangers in a strange land. We too have a home in heaven waiting for us someday. And probably more than ever that's been impressed on me when my father was passing away. You know in those last few days to just realize he doesn't even want to be here anymore. He loves time with us but he doesn't want to be here. He's ready to go be with God. And he's longing for that. And he's more aware of uh, his his desire, and as that desire for Jesus was just affecting him, he's talking more and more. You know, looking up at the ceiling, just talking to the Lord, and we just happen to be listening in on their conversation. You know, uh, he's ready, and his his heart was just being filled up, so that there was really not, nothing nothing uh, left for anything else. Just just Jesus. I just want Jesus, and I want to be with Him. Over the past six weeks, we have learned that Daniel was gifted by God to. Uh, be able to interpret the dreams and the visions of the kings of Babylon and others. God used him to help these pagan kings to understand whatever God wanted them to know. They, they didn't have any relationship with God, but he got a message through to them by vis- visions or or by dreams. And Daniel was able to tell them what those dreams meant. But starting in chapter 7, where we are today, in chapter 7, the book of Daniel is no longer Uh, about other people. It's about Daniel's vision. And it's no longer in chronological order. The first six chapters went through a succession of of years and kingdoms. In chapters 1 through 4, it's Nebuchadnezzar, who's the king, and he's having these visions and dreams, and Daniel's telling about them. In chapter 5, actually a message that we missed because I was gone two weeks ago, it's about Belshazzar, who is a grandson of Nebuchadnezzar, and he sees this vision of the... And writing on the wall. Maybe you read about that, and uh, sometime we'll go back and pick up that message because it's a very important message. And, and then the next uh, thing that happens in chapter 6, which is what you had last week with Neil Wheeler, is Daniel going into the lion's den because of his prayers, and it's Darius, the Medo-Persian king, who is, you know, forced to, to throw him in there, even though he liked Daniel. Um, but This week, chapter 7, goes back to a time earlier when Belshazzar was king. And actually early on in his two-year reign as the king of Babylon. When Daniel has this dream, a very big dream, a very uh, troubling dream for him. In fact, this dream encompasses from his time on, probably through all of our time as well, depending on how you want to interpret that dream. It could go to the very end of time, as I think it does, which would encompass all of human history from Daniel's time until Jesus returns. What was God saying in this big dream, and how are we supposed to respond to this dream? That's what the message is about today. Would you pray with me? Father, I pray today that as we go into your word, that, that, you, would, uh, that you would speak a message to all of our hearts. That it would be a better sermon than the one I prepared. Uh, that it would be uh, specific. It would be, uh, it would be tailor-made for each of our lives. As your Holy Spirit would use this message from your word to, to get to us. Uh, as we open our hearts and minds to you. I pray that you would speak to us. And that there would not be just information that is shared. But you would share your life with us. You would share the challenge with us that our lives need to change somehow. And that we would be willing, that we would be humble, and we would be willing to make those changes that you speak to us today. And we ask for your blessing upon this time. In Jesus' name, amen. So in chapter 7, Daniel's book takes this sharp left turn. He's been dealing with everybody else. Suddenly it's about him. We move away from historical events or or narratives, or chronology, and we go backwards a little bit to a vision, a dream, and we are going to go into a different kind of literature now. It's called apocalyptic literature. It's a different genre altogether. That apocalyptic literature is is Jewish or Christian in its its perspective, its outlook. That that there is a narrative, a, a revelation that is given by God, something new. Information we couldn't have gotten any other way. And God reveals something, and it reveals something about the end, the end times. About how things are going to end in God's uh, purview, in God's perspective, in God's awareness. Man is not aware of these things, but God reveals in uh, apocalyptic literature. And so we're going to see this dream. Um, and what we want to do is get behind uh, the vision and what the particulars may be. I'm not, I'm not going to go into charts and graphs and say this is this kingdom, this is that kingdom, and here's how it all works out, and these are the years of this and the years of that, and eventually it's going to all wind down to this and just try and predict all that. Now, there are, there are teachers who will do that. It's very fascinating. But what I want to do is step back from that and see in this, in this vision... What it is that God is creating behind the imagery, behind the mystery of Daniel's vision of these terrible beasts, this simple, straightforward message. Here's what I want you to get today. That God's kingdom is the only one we can count on. Let's just think about that. God's kingdom is the only one we can count on. There's going to be a bunch of other kingdoms yet. And We're in a kingdom now. We, we call it. In a democracy but there's kind of a you know another ruling group and and this is every kingdom every nation has that but god's kingdom is the only one we can count on there are several powerful images in daniel's dream in chapter seven there are four magnificent terrifying beasts which he has trouble describing even in human terms the scenes of chapter seven are shocking even disturbing So follow along. I hope you have your Bible out. If you have one of the Pew Bibles, you can just turn over to page 726 and make it real easy. It's going to be on the screen, but it's not going to be on the screen later. So keep your Bible open as we come back to this in a little bit. Let's look at chapter 7. In the first year of Belshazzar, king of Babylon, Daniel, had a dream, and visions passed through his mind as he was lying in bed. He wrote down the substance of his dream. Daniel said, In my vision at night, I... And there before me were the four winds of heaven churning up the great sea. Four great beasts, each different from the others, came up out of the sea. The first was like a lion, and it had the wings of an eagle. I watched until its wings were torn off, and it was lifted from the ground so that it stood on two feet like a human being. And the mind of a human was given to it. And there before me was a second beast, which looked like a bear one of its sides, and had three ribs in its mouth between its teeth. It was told, get up and eat your fill of flesh. After that, I looked, and there before me was another beast, one that looked like a leopard. And on its back, it had four wings like those of a bird. This beast had four heads, and it was given authority to rule. And after that, in my vision at night, I looked, and there before me was a fourth beast, terrifying and frightening and very powerful. It had large iron teeth. It crushed and devoured its victims, and it trampled underfoot whatever was left. It was different from all the former beasts, and it had ten horns. And while I was thinking about the horns, there before me was another horn, a little one, which came up among them, and three of the first horns were uprooted before it. This horn had eyes like the eyes of a human being and a mouth that spoke boastful. As I looked, thrones were set in place, and the Ancient of Days took his seat. His clothing was white as snow. The hair of his head was white like wool. His throne was flaming with fire, and its wheels were all ablaze. A river of fire was flowing, coming out from before him. Thousands upon thousands attended him. Ten thousand times ten thousand stood before him. The court was seated, and the books were open. Then I continued to watch because of the boastful words the horn was speaking. I kept looking until the beast was slain and its body destroyed and thrown into the blazing fire. The other beasts had been stripped of their authority but were allowed to live for a period of time. And in my vision at night I looked and there before me was one like a son of man coming with the clouds of heaven. He approached the Ancient of Days and was led into his presence. He was given authority, glory, and sovereign power. All nations and peoples of every language worshipped him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away. And his kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. Wow, what a vision, huh? That's, that's a pretty graphic dream. And he remembered the details. But... He wanted to know what it meant. Let's go on verse 15. I, Daniel, was troubled in spirit and the visions that passed through my mind disturbed me. I approached one of those standing there and asked him the meaning of all this. Thankfully, there's someone there he could ask. So he told me and he gave me the interpretation of these things. The four great beasts are four great kings that will rise from the earth. But the holy people, the most high, will receive the kingdom and will possess it forever. Yes, forever and ever. Then I wanted to know the meaning of the fourth beast, which was different from all the others and most terrifying with its iron teeth and bronze claws, the beast that crushed and devoured its victims and trampled underfoot whatever was left. I also wanted to know about the ten horns on its head and about the other horn that came up before which three of them fell, the horn that looked more imposing than the others and that had eyes and a mouth that spoke boastfully. As I watched... This horn was waging war against the holy people and defeating them until the Ancient of Days came and pronounced judgment in favor of the holy people of the Most High. And the time came when they possessed the kingdom. He gave me this explanation. The fourth beast is a fourth kingdom that will appear on earth. It will be different from all the other kingdoms and will devour the whole earth, trampling it down and crushing it. The ten horns are ten kings ...who will come from this kingdom. After them another king will arise, different from the earlier ones. He will subdue three kings. He will speak against the Most High... ...and oppress His holy people and try to change the set times and the laws. The holy people will be delivered into His hands for a time, times, and half a time. But the court will sit and His power will be taken away and completely destroyed forever... Then the sovereignty, power, and greatness of all the kingdoms under heaven will be handed over to the holy people of the Most High. His kingdom will be an everlasting kingdom, and all rulers will worship and obey him. This is the end of the matter. I, Daniel, was deeply troubled by my thoughts, and my face turned pale. But I kept the matter to myself. Now, I hope this morning that we can set apart here for us three facts that we all need to be aware of. First of all, no earthly king, no earthly kingdom lasts forever. Secondly, that God's kingdom alone is eternal. And thirdly, we can live in confidence because our future is secure in Jesus Christ. Now, knowing these facts will help us successfully live life here as strangers in a strange land, just as Daniel did. No earthly kingdom can last forever. The scene Daniel saw begins with a churning sea. Imagine, as we've seen recently with the hurricanes, the ferocious winds and waves of a hurricane or, or maybe a typhoon, and just wiping out everything in its path. Our, our, uh, our nieces, two children, live in Pensacola area, and they came down. For dad's memorial service. And they said as they drove across interstate 70. They drove for 70 miles. And every tree was down on both sides of the road. That's power. Ships sinking right and left maybe. Great peril to anyone on the sea. This is the kind of action of the sea. That Daniel seeing. And in ancient writings. The churning sea represented complete chaos. And disorder. It is an apt picture of our world today. Is it Not. Everything is in an upheaval. Few things can be counted on. Many people don't know where to turn for answers to their confusion and their disillusionment. But Christians know we have a rock. We have someone beneath who holds us, a foundation. Well, Daniel then describes four beasts that he saw coming up out of the churning sea. He says that they were like a lion or a bear or a leopard. He was simply giving the best description he could... That, that he could, could somehow compare it to what he had seen in his experience. He couldn't be more precise because he had never seen anything exactly like these magnificent beasts coming out of the sea. The four beasts represent four successive worldwide kingdoms. Now, scholars have studied this passage in great detail, and there's some uh, disagreement about exactly what everything means. They've compared history and archaeology and And studied the descriptions inside and out. best thing that that I've seen is is a very simple list you've probably heard before. The lion with eagle's wings is probably the Babylonian empire that Daniel's in at the time of Shazar. Bear is the Medo-Persian empire which follows that. Taking over the Babylonians and staying in power for some time. The leopard is Greece. Which would be Alexander the Great and all of his people who followed him. And the fourth beast which you cannot really describe comparing to any animal, is the Roman Empire. And the empires or kingdoms that followed it. This morning, I don't want to be worried about pinpointing each of these kingdoms and how they fit together. I want you to just notice this pattern, that kingdoms come and kingdoms go. It's true of every kingdom. Every earthly kingdom, every human kingdom Rises to power, and then it fades, or falls, or is taken down. They all rise. They all expand their territories. They hold on to their power as long as they can, but there is an end to every one of them. That is true of every kingdom, whether it's Babylon, Persia, Greece, or Rome. These are all very powerful kingdoms, but in the end, they all became tourist attractions, didn't they? Everybody goes to sea. The ruins of such kingdoms, they imagine the glory that they had, but they no longer have. All of these kingdoms rise to power only to fall to ruin. This is true of any and every earthly kingdom. This unfailing pattern is much more important than trying to identify which of them may be. So hold on to this fact, no earthly king lasts forever. This is a lesson kings need to learn. But it's also a lesson we need to learn. Because sometimes we want to make our own kingdom, don't we? Sometimes we want to be in charge. Sometimes we want to expand our rule and our authority and our power and our influence. But every one of us will experience the same thing that every king on earth has experienced. Yes, you may have your day, but your day will end. You cannot control the end. What happens eventually... All of these kingdoms were strong, they were impressive, they were admired, they were everything that the world says that we need in order to be happy, but all of them eventually failed to deliver what they had promised. All of them are now gone. The world influences us continually to pursue what these kingdoms pursued, wealth and pleasure and fame and power. But in fact, none of these things can ever satisfy our hearts and our souls. Try as we might, we can't find satisfaction and meaning in any of these things. Our satisfaction, our meaning, can only be found in God and in our relationship with God. But so many people don't know that yet. So Daniel's vision of the four beasts powerfully conveys conveys the first point, that we must understand that no earthly human kingdom Will last forever. So no earthly human kingdom. Is worth giving our lives to. There's something better. And that's the second fact. That God's kingdom alone. Is eternal. This is the kingdom. We need to be impressed with. The kingdom that we need to pursue. For his kingdom will supersede. Every other kingdom. Kingdoms uh, uh, may, may be grand. And beautiful. And powerful. And expansive. Every king may boast as much as they want to and be as arrogant as they may want to, but God will have the last word. Every time, God will have the last word. As Daniel described the fourth beast in verse 7, he says it was terrifying and frightening and powerful. He says it crushed everyone in its path. It had ten horns. And then he says, while I was thinking about these ten horns, there was this other horn, this little one. And he rose up and he pushed down three of them and then he became the greatest of all of them. And he spoke boastfully, he spoke arrogantly, he even spoke against God. Going down to verse 15, he asks the meaning of these visions, especially of that fourth beast. And he said in verse 20, I also wanted to know about the ten horns, I wanted to know about the other horn, before which three of them fell, the one that looked more imposing, the one that the others uh, fell down to. He had eyes and a mouth that spoke boastfully. And as I watched, he waged war against the holy people. And he was defeating them until what? Until the Ancient of Days came. And when the Ancient of Days showed up, the little horn was destroyed. The kingdom of such arrogance and boastfulness was gone. The fourth and final beast in Daniel's vision had ten horns with ten kingdoms. In end, this one horn that rose up against them all, judgment was pronounced upon him and he was defeated forever. Just before the end of time, there will be a last earthly kingdom. Some kind of a, a rule that is a worldwide rule. And perhaps take over everything known to man. Even the people of God will be put under subjection for a time. It says time, times, and, and, and half a time. In the end, God's kingdom will come and pronounce judgment. God's kingdom will deal with this kingdom with finality. He will defeat this king and put him in an eternal prison. And we can debate who this is and what this is going to look like, but the point is that in the end, God wins. In the end, God's kingdom is forever, and the other kingdoms have all fallen. God's kingdom alone is eternal. God's kingdom is stronger, far better than any earthly kingdom. All other kingdoms will fall, but not God's kingdom. We need to know that and we need to see that just as Daniel did. Now, what kind of a king is in this kingdom? If you started describing God, how would you describe him? Look at verses 9 and 10 again. It says, As I looked, Thrones were set in place, and the Ancient of Days took his seat. Let me describe him. His clothing was as white as snow. The hair of his head was white like wool. His throne was flaming with fire, and its wheels were all ablaze. And a river of fire was flowing, coming out from before him. Thousands upon thousands attended him. Ten thousand times ten thousand stood before him. The court was seated, and the books were opened. This is a king that is perfect in every way. His clothing was as white as snow, a symbol of His purity and His perfection. His hair was white like wool, a picture of God's wisdom. His throne is flaming with fire, a symbol of God's undeniable justice. You remember that phrase among believers that was out very popular a few years ago? I, we didn't use it a lot here, as I recall, but sometimes we did. And it was simply like this, God is good all the time. Remember that? All the time, God is good. You say, you know, we, we would say that and somebody would stand up and say, God is good. And everybody would say, God is good. All the time, all the time, all the time, all the time, God is good. God is good. We need to be reminded of that sometimes. Sometimes we need to realize what a king we serve. You know, he's, he's not this wrathful, vindictive king that was looking to destroy us looking to catch us in wrong. He is a loving God who wants the very best for us. Now, if we do wrong, we will be punished, just like the other people that are punished here within Daniel's vision. But, you know, as Christians, sometimes we struggle with the idea that God's love is somehow going to run out, or run out for us, at least. You know, we do some bad things. We get a a string of of disappointments going there, and we kind of drift And we get this idea, you know, that God is is no longer going to love us. This can be a a really big temptation for us. And often I think it's just what Satan is using. He would like nothing better for us than to think badly about God. Our negative experience sometimes with other people color our thoughts about God. And we project our thoughts about God, about these other people, onto God. You know, you ever find yourself in a place where you're doubting whether God still loves you? Maybe you're there now. Do you ever think that maybe you've done so many bad things that God couldn't possibly forgive you again, and so he just gives up on you, throws up his hands, he walks away, and you're left alone? Have you ever thought that you've failed so many times after making so many promises to him that God just doesn't want to hear your excuses anymore? These are all things that people have done to us, but this is not the way God relates to us. People sometimes have hurt us. Maybe at some point your earthly father's love was withheld. Maybe it was taken away from you. Very painful still today to realize that the relationship was broken off by his choice. He wanted no more to do with you. Perhaps you have suffered broken relationships or maybe even abuse at the hands of someone else. People who should have loved you. People who should have been there for you, but they just gave up on you. I want you to know God doesn't do that because God is good all the time. All the time, God is good. Bad things do happen. So let's talk about that. If God is good all the time, why does he allow all these terrible things to happen to us? Why do we get sick? Why do we have people in our family die? Why do we have uh, trouble with our children and they get off into some behavior that, that we taught them to do that, but they're still doing that and we're wondering, how are we going to do this? Maybe it's a loss of a job. Maybe it's a loss of our home. Maybe it's some other problem that comes to us and we say, where is God in all of this? If God is good all the time, why is He allowing us? We must realize that we're in this period of time called the time, times, and a half a time. We're in this period of time when this little horn that raised up His arrogance against God is partially in control of things here. He has given a period of time as the prince of this world is able to exert some influence, cause some havoc, and, and, and cause a lot of problems for the people of God. The Bible says he wages war against the saints or the people of God. <coughs> but one day, God, who has given him this period of time, will say, that's enough. That's enough. It's over. And he will call him to account. The books will be opened. The court will meet. One day, the Ancient of Days will come, and the horn will be destroyed. One day, the Son of Man, mentioned in verse 13 of Daniel 7, will show up. And one day, Jesus will come to rule with all authority, glory, and sovereign power. Now, let's confuse the matter just a little bit more because in the Christian community we have some people that say, some Christian pastors and preachers, some false teachers who say that in Christ life is going to be good, always good. And so they teach a gospel of prosperity and health and wealth and protection. And they say if you're not experiencing these things, then something is wrong with you. And it is false teaching, so don't listen to them. Don't listen to these so-called feel-good preachers, because they're selling you something that Jesus never taught. We are in times of testing, even of tribulation. We worship someone himself who is falsely accused and murdered. And he told us, you're going to be treated the way I've been treated. Life Will be difficult. I'm not trying to paint a a really sad negative picture. And say you'll always have trouble. I'm saying let's be realistic about this. That in this life there is trouble. But Jesus said I have overcome the world. And there is hope. There is confidence for the future. And that is what God is giving Daniel in this vision. God is going to bring victory in the end. Without fail. You can count on it. The difficulties and trials we experience in this life do not mean that God's not good. It means that God's not done. It hasn't come about yet. God's not finished. But one day, the Ancient of Days, is going to make everything right again. For a time, God is allowing mankind to do what we want to do, even to our own harm. He is allowing it sin and evil to run their course until the day when he makes everything right and when he does no one will be able to resist him no one will be able uh, to say no God I want to keep doing what I want to do he will establish his rule forever this brings us to the third point the third fact we can live in confidence because our future is secure in Jesus Christ I want to ask you this morning what it is that you see. What are you looking at? What do you set your sights on? What are your hopes and dreams? What are the things, the visions of your life, of what your future may be? Do you only see the here and now? Do you only see the troubles of your life? Do you only see the circumstances you wish would change? Or do you see into eternity through the eyes of faith? Those who know the end of the story live differently than those who do not. Timothy Keller said, our present reality is determined by what we believe our ultimate future to be. You know, how we see now is determined by how we see the future that God has guaranteed us. No matter what, we can be confident of the future because one day God will make all things right. Even though we may suffer in this life, even as persecution befalls people who are doing nothing but exactly what God wants them to do. We are assured of victory with Christ in the end. So I like what Pastor Bob Hunter said. He said that when Jesus returns, evil is going to be destroyed. He said, in your time of uncertainty, keep this in mind. Evil will not prevail. God's people will. Evil is not here to stay. It's here to go. And it will go into the lake of fire one day. He banished from the earth. God's job is to destroy evil. Your job is to overcome it. For in the meantime, you will face the onslaught of the evil one. But don't let it get to you. Have the assurance that God gave Daniel. One day, he's going to take care of it. The evil one will eventually be destroyed. His fate has already been sealed. So what does Daniel's vision have to do with you and me today? Right now. It helps us to see where we are and how we fit into the scheme, the big picture of things. There is a brokenness to our world. We're going to experience that brokenness. Don't try and pretend that you know everything's going to be beautiful and bed of roses from here on out simply because you became a Christian. There may be more trouble in your life at times because you're a Christian than before you became one. But not everything will be made right until the final day, the day of Christ's return, when the Ancient of Days makes everything right. In the meantime, we must be faithful as a people of God. We must continue living as strangers in a strange land. This is not our home, after all. We are here only for a season. We are here on a mission. We are here as ambassadors of Christ for a time. And we must help others see that our only hope is in Jesus Christ. And we must pray that they too will put their confidence in Jesus to save them, even as we have. What you see is what you get. And what I see, what you see, is a vision of Christ's return, a victory for the people of God. One You know, my father was never uh, a rich man. He was never famous. He was never envied by other people, except maybe... They thought he had a pretty neat uh, uh, family, maybe. Uh, but, you know, I, I don't know why people would just look at my dad and say, boy, I wish I could have Dwight's life. He lived in the last few years of his life in a mobile home. He didn't have a car because he couldn't drive it because of his eyesight. He had this very poor health. It's, it was a struggle for him to, to write anything down or to read what someone else had written. He, he uh, grew weaker. And weaker physically until he just couldn't go any further. And then that last week with him, you know, he was up and he was still moving from the living room back to his bedroom with the help of a walker the first day. And then he lost that. And uh, we had to struggle just get him out of the bed. And then we couldn't even get him out of the bed any longer. He just became so weak. And yet, he had an indomitable spirit of confidence in God. You couldn't take that away. He had no fear about what was coming or where he was going because he knew after all this earth wasn't his home anyhow. And he knew that he was headed for eternal life through Jesus Christ. Nothing, no one could keep him from that. And so there wasn't anything could be done to him that would shake that fear. Now, what we need to do is live that way now before we get sick before we have all the troubles that may come upon our life, and and just put us in a bed where we can finally think about it. We need to think about it now while we're still functioning, while we're still moving, while we're still working, while we're still raising our children or grandchildren, while we're still dealing with other people that, that don't know God yet, and we're trying to influence our ones for Christ that we're praying for. We need to realize that victory is assured, and there is a confidence that comes when you know the future that we are assured in Jesus Christ. And that confidence will carry us through as we trust Him for what will happen one day. Let me pray for you this morning. Lord, I pray that you would be with each of us, be with my brothers and sisters here. I know that some of them have some really tough, tough circumstances going on in their lives right now. There are things that that have happened in their families, or in their workplace, or in their community. Uh, there are things personally that are happening within their own bodies that, that are shaking them to the core, that, that, are, that are really disturbing them. And yet, I want to remind them today, Lord, uh, that your Spirit uh, is, is guaranteeing a future that is, that is uh, beyond what we may be able to imagine That Jesus Christ assures us of salvation and heaven with Him. A future, an eternal uh, uh, victory in Christ. That it's hard to see right now. And I pray for my brothers and sisters here that they would would see that vision. That they would see that dream, that goal, uh, that awareness, that perspective, that eternal perspective that comes through faith. And it would be exactly what they need to carry them through today. It would be exactly what they need to give them hope and a future because of God's promises. Lord, we thank you for Jesus. We thank you for what he's done, that, that he's, he's gone through all of this before us, and he is now with you forever. And he is interceding on our behalf, and he is, is watching over us and helping us with our daily lives, that his spirit lives inside us to give us strength when we don't have any strength, to give us hope when uh, we feel deflated, to give us energy when we're exhausted, to give us a mission when we feel like we're floundering. And I pray today, Lord, that you would just fill each of us with that confidence that we can have in Jesus Christ, that we would feel secure, assured, hopeful, driven even to live for you for as many days as you give us here. Help us to live as strangers in a strange land, knowing that our home is somewhere else and we'll be with you forever one day. Bless us and strengthen us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Would you stand with us and sing uh, this morning?